When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. And welcome to the show, everyone. We're back. It's been a it's a been a busy time in our lives. We've uh, taken a few weeks off here, but Trevor, as always, it's nice to be back behind the mic talking sports with you. It's uh it's been a bit of a busy time, and we're getting into a much busier time in the coming week for us in the sports world. Yeah, it uh, it feels like an entire NHL season has gone by since we've been behind the mic. You know, some of me have had to gallivant all over Western Canada for work-related reasons. We'll get into <laughs> some more of that a little bit later here. A little WRR. But, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> WRR. Yeah, so unfortunately been uh, unavailable. And you know, next weekend, same thing. You know, got a family trip to Lethbridge for my daughter's uh, second figure, second and final figure skating competition of the year, but looking forward to getting back into the windy, windy city for, uh, for a weekend. But yeah, I've been all, all over the place, Ken, and it, uh, you know, life gets in the way of a podcast sometimes, but yeah, you do what you gotta do, but yeah, definitely glad to, uh, be back behind the mic for this week. There's, I'm so far out of the loop on what's going on in the world of sports. So if I make any hiccups, just feel free to correct me. Oh, I will. I will. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, you were out um, perusing the 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 flatlands of Saskatchewan and checking out yours. Well, you were looking at season's tickets for the riders. Is that what you were doing in Regina last week? Uh, no, I was uh, trying to avoid the green altogether. Every bloody second person has a hat a coat a shirt a tattoo a, a tattoo uh anything riders I'll, I'll tell you one thing after being in regina for a week the love for that team is strong you're in the dead of winter it was minus 30 40 degrees celsius when i was there and that didn't stop the rider gear from being out on full display so kudos to that fan base but i was definitely tired of it yeah, yeah, I, I was out there for a week one time in Saskatoon, and it wasn't even close to CFL season. And every radio station, every other commercial was a uh, Rough Rider related. So I, I, I feel you on that one. See, I was in Saskatoon the week prior, and I didn't see nearly as much Rider gear. I still saw my fair share, but when I was in Regina last week, it was everywhere on display. And and, and you you said it. Kudos to that fan base. They can be. Um a bit much at times, but they full on support whatever team they have. And I've said it before, I, I, I was very upset and sad, not because I was an Edmonton Rush fan, but because it meant it took the NLL away from Edmonton. When they moved to Saskatoon, that was probably the best financial uh, move they could have ever done. 
that franchise will never be in trouble financially and they will have probably one of the greatest fan bases to exist because they just love the sports teams they have and they show out for them. It, it is impressive. They do. They definitely get behind their sports teams. You know, they got Connor Bedard playing with the Regina Pats right now, playing to pack buildings. Now we'll see what happens when he's not on that team anymore. And they go into very full rebuild mode and you know, we'll see what kind of span sport they get then. But you know, the riders, the, the Saskatoon rush, even the Saskatoon blades draw relatively well. Like they, they're passionate about their sports in, in the province of Saskatchewan. Granted, there's not much else to do, so I can fully understand why. You know, the for those not familiar, the cities of Regina and Saskatoon are under 300,000 people both, which is, and those are the major city centers in that province. So it's a unique place, very similar to where we live, though. The, the people are very similar, and it, it was good. It was fun, but I was happy to get on a plane and come back to the big city, bigger city of Calgary than than uh, than Regina and Saskatoon. It's just limited in what to do there, but definitely enjoy yeah. going there. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes it's fun to get away for work trips like that, but maybe not when you're doing it every week, eh? You might uh, test yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots been going on. So, Trev, why don't we jump into Are You Kidding Me? Are You Kidding Me is brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and use the code BELLYUPFANTASY for 20% off. Well, Trevor, just was it last weekend, whatever it was, recently here, we had the NBA All-Star Game. And I didn't watch it. I, I, I'm i kind of out of tune with when it comes to the All-Star Games just because they've really taken a hit in entertainment value over the last several years. And I just don't find the need to waste my time watching it. Um, but from everything that I read and the air quoting highlights I saw of this game, I, I you might have it might as well have been the NFL Pro Bowl for how engaged the 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 players looked. It looked like an absolute joke. Players are literally standing with their hands on their hips as guys are going one-on-one -on -one. Um, LeBron saying no defense and no one's playing defense except him when uh Canadian um, I'm just going to go by SGA cause I going to screw his name up royally goes up for a dunk. And now LeBron's playing uh defense. And I know that rubbed SGA uh, from OKC uh, wrong because it was the only time and he was the only person that LeBron played defense against. So if you're going to have a no defense game, don't play defense. Don't be a dick. Let the guy go in and slam, you know, have a big slam dunk in, in an all-star game and be remembered. Um, it was just a joke. Like, I, I just either participate in the game and give an effort. I'm not saying go out and have a 88 to 86 score because, you know, your fans love the dunks. They... They, they love the, the high scoring. They want to see that fast-paced play. Sure, do that, but at least give an effort and make it look like you care because it really looked like none of them did. Now, I again, like I said, I didn't watch it, but you kind of told me beforehand, like Giannis of Team Giannis played 20 seconds, and I thought that was just because he and the Bucks wanted to keep him healthy for their season, but I guess he you said he is nursing a bit of an injury, so... Yeah, give him a bit of the benefit of the doubt. I'll give him a bit he, of that. He, but... he didn't pull. He didn't pull the Alex Ovechkin and just skip it entirely because he was hurt. <laughs> yeah. So I'll give him that. I'll give him that benefit of the doubt. But it was just like even coming down to the skills competition, the top players used to be the guys in the dunk contest, 
and would use that to just kind of put on a display for the fans. And I can tell you, um, I couldn't tell you who was actually in the competition and who they were. The guy that won it, Mac McClure. Mac McClung. McClung signed a deal with the Sixers, a two-way deal a week before and had been in the J League. So it was like, yeah, I saw them like, who the hell is this guy? Like, he had some great dunks and he won. Oh, it was phenomenal. He put on a show for the fans, but it was like, who the hell are you and why are you here? Why are you representing the Sixers when you've got a lot of other great players on that team? Why are you even in this competition? And and that's, I don't mean that as any kind of disrespect to him. Because he did great. He put on a show. He did what oh, the, rest of the stars didn't do. So I watched it. Him. It was it was it was good entertainment. Like the, the slam dunk contest was good entertainment, but it was mostly because of Mac McClung. Like he he did four dunks, all four of them were absolute showstoppers. He didn't really miss any dunks, which was most impressive. But you hit on something. Like where are the superstars? Remember the days of you had Vince Carter, Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins, you know, Dwight Howard, like where Blake are the, Blake Griffin, like where are the big name stars when it comes to the dunk contest? It had gone downhill the last few years. They were even joking about it leading in in the preamble of it in the heading into the, the slam dunk contest where they were saying, well, we let's hope that this is better than the last two years because it's been garbage. The last two years, you know, the three point contest, I watched that and, you know, it was, it was decent. It, like it was fun. I watched this, some of the, the, the dribble pass shoot challenge that they do. And that wasn't very good, but you know, the marquee event always will be on the, the NBA all-star game weekend is a slam dunk challenge. It lived up to it this year, but I, I'm with you. Where's the big names? Where's the big names when it comes to that whole weekend i i don't mind showcasing some of the younger guys you know i kind of wish hockey would do that with like the hardest shot competition i wish the nhl would actually bring in the five hardest shot guys to compete in that event but outside of that it's supposed to be the guys that are there representing their teams doing the skills competition now in general i'm so turned off of all-star games they're meaningless to me i know there's lots of fan uproar over who does and doesn't make it who cares like i all-star games are for kids i'm not a kid anymore i don't find the excitement in them it's all about the local market i honestly could care less i just watched the dunk contest because you know it wasn't much else on <laughs> yeah well the, the nhl did try and do that with, with some young guys but then they got in their own way in vegas they brought out trevor zegers who wasn't an all-star to be part of the the uh, breakaway challenge, and he put on a great one. I think he did the do- was that he did the dodgeball one or whatever, or whatever. Yeah, the blindfolded. Yeah, and he did that. Put on a great show, and then they gave it to uh, Petrangelo, who comes out with some string lights put around him and does absolutely nothing on a boring breakaway. And because he's a Vegas Golden Knight and it's in Vegas, they give it to him. Like the the NHL gets in their own way, but uh, kind of like. A, what was going on with the NBA all-star game kind of goes into my next point and you know, almost just an NBA. Are you kidding me? That Minnesota Timberwolves uh, all-star Anthony Edwards called out and that's the load management that's going on. And I think that's exactly what you were seeing in the all-star skills competition. And in the game was they were there, but they were load management doing load managing so that they didn't 
get tired or hurt or whatever. And he called it out from the standpoint that if you're 75, 80% healthy, you should be playing. You should be on the court. You should be playing. You should be giving your all, trying to win 82 games a season. Now, he also called it out for a point that I think is kind of incredible that a player is calling it out. It's something as a fan, why I don't like it, is that there are people who are paying money. And I actually saw some tweets of people saying, I spent $500 to get to this game. I spent you know, X amount of money to get into the game on merchandise, on food, yada, yada, yada. And this star player that I took my child to go see, who, who idolizes them and wants to go see, was sitting on the bench healthy because they might have a game the next night or two nights later that they deem a little more important than the game that night. And I think it's an absolute travesty that these guys are doing it. And, you know, it started a lot with the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard, and that was a health issue thing because the guy's made of paper mache and can't stay healthy. And so, okay, if if it's more of a health-related thing where – you are that brittle sure sit out or take a year off and get healthy but if you're healthy and you're doing it uh, like lebron broke the scoring record and then the next two nights was sitting just cuz because he broke the record and was out partying the next two nights it, it just to me i don't like it. it i really don't and as a paying fan i it would absolutely piss me off to show up and see all the superstars that I would be paying good money to see sitting in street clothes, not playing. And good on on Anthony Edwards for calling that out. I know they've talked about, well, maybe if they shorten the season. No, if you shorten the season to 72 games, then the guys are still going to sit out 10 to 12 games for load management. Right? Like, it's not going to change a damn thing, in my opinion, in that. You're right. The load management of the NBA is ridiculous. I can understand if you're nursing an injury. That's fine. That Absolutely. Like, you, you see it in the NHL. You see it in the NFL. Guys take weeks off or a couple of games off. They're nursing an injury. That's fine. But for the franchises to come out and blatantly say just load management, you're right. It's a slap in the face to paying NBA fans. It's not a slap in the face to Miami Heat fans and New York Knicks fans and Chicago Bull fans and – LA Laker fans because they don't sit for those games. They don't sit for the big market games. It's a, a slap in the face to the Sacramento Kings fans, the Utah Jazz fans, the Cleveland Cavalier fans. Those are the games they sit. And how are you supposed to grow the game with the youngsters in those cities when, hey, the Lakers are in town and, oh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James aren't playing. Well, that kid isn't excited about that game nearly as much. He wanted to see LeBron. Like, I don't like it because it is such a slap in the face to the paying consumer. And at the end of the day, it, it's all about the fans. The fans are what drive the league. Whether it's in person or watching online or watching on TV, if, if you piss off the fans enough, your, your viewership's going to decline. And I could definitely see that happening if this continues on. Now, the NBA is a rock-solid league. Like, there's no financial stress there. But if they start to feel it a little bit because of, you know, fans getting pissed off, well, then it kind of serves them right. Like, 
Yeah. And how hard is it to play 82 games or 80 or 75? Like, why do you have some guys getting 10 games off a year for load management? Like, it's insane. They, I, we're both huge NHL fans. They play back-to-back in the NHL almost as much as any league. And rarely, the only guys that get, you know, the second night of a back-to-back off are goaltenders. Well, I'm sorry. They're lugging around 50 extra pounds of, of equipment. I can in see how they might be sport. tired in a contact yeah. sport, but nobody else. Like you rarely see lineup change. And the superstars, like hockey superstars play every game. And, I, and I, here's another thing is how are teams just willing to throw away victories? Because like when you don't have your best players playing, there's a significantly increased chance you're going to lose. So how are they comfortable throwing away victories? The, the LA Lakers are in a, a playoff battle and you're letting LeBron miss a couple games when you're in the heat of a playoff race. Like, it, I, I, it's baffling to me. Here's the thing. You talked about the TV and whether, you know, they stopped watching and things like that. The NBA is never going to have a television problem like the NHL does right now. It's not. They do a lot of stuff. The NBA does a lot of things right when it comes to that sense. Like I sent you that video of Adam Silver, I think, scanning Ahmad Rashad and showing the new streaming that awesome. thing that they're going to have where you can scan yourself and put yourself in the game. The NBA is flush with money. They will always be flush with money. And that is why they don't care if players sit out or if they miss a game or they maybe don't go to the playoffs because in the majority of those markets, those arenas are going to be packed regardless. And that's why. Yeah, I, I totally understand that point of it. It just, it's such a slap in the face to like, imagine I was in Toronto and, you know, I happened to be out there with my son for a week and, you know, the Raptors are at home. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's supposed to be the the Raptors and Lakers. And I go and say, hey, you know, let's go to this game. It's not every day you're going to get a chance to see LeBron James. You buy your ticket and then he doesn't play. Like like that's – I can't even fathom that happening. At least if I were to go to a, a Maple Leafs game while I was in Toronto, I'm pretty sure Martyrs and Matthews and if the Colorado Avalanche were telling Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarthy, they'd be playing. Like you – you wouldn't have to take that chance that they might not play. Yeah. That, that's, that's ludicrous that people are making significant financial investments to see a player and then they might not play. Like, Oh, they got to change that. Yeah. There's, there's not, there's no longer the affordable sports ticket in any real market or, or league. So it, it is a huge slap in the face of the paying fan. And, and yeah, I think it kind of goes with that whole, you know, team tank talk in the NHL right now for all these people wanting teams to tank. It's a slap in the face of the paying fan who actually wants to see their team go out and play. Now, if they're horrible because of it just naturally and they come by it, you know, on their own, then whatever. But you, no player, maybe outside of the NBA, is going to take a night off just because they want a better draft position. Well, Ken, I'm going to I'm going to take it one step further here, and and we're talking about load management in the NBA. For my are you kidding me, is this creeping into the NHL right around the trade deadline? It looks like the, it. It apparently looks like it. The, the new buzz phrase in the NHL right now is trade-related reasons. 
Well, what does that necessarily mean? Well, it's very much load management. The NHL has adopted trade-related reasons as a, as a new phrase to hold out their players that they're looking to trade out, trade at the trade deadline. Okay, I can kind of understand this, kind of. I joked earlier that I wasn't allowed to, you know, be absent for work-related reasons. Totally taking a shot at this, you know, the trade-related reasons. If you're looking at dealing one of your superstars, Patrick Kane, we're looking at it right now, I can kind of get that because these guys are different difference makers and you may want to hold them out of a game just to be safe, to make sure they don't get hurt, you can't trade them. You know, capitalizing on that asset. I can get behind that. What I can't get behind is guys like Jake LeCision being held out for trade-related reasons. You know, Vladislav Gavrikov in Columbus was being held out. Um, Tyler Mott was being held out of a game for trade-related reasons. Like, these are, these are you know, third-liners, fourth-liners, like, just not superstars, Holding out a guy that's going to net you a uh, fifth round pick in return for trade related, just healthy scratch him. Don't say trade related reasons. Just don't play him. It it it's just an odd odd statement. But then you know you got the Arizona Coyotes or Phoenix Coyotes or whatever the hell you want to call them these days. Taking it a step joke. further, yeah. Like, They've got Jacob Chikrin being held in the lineup for trade-related reasons. Well, we're going on two weeks now <laughs> that he hasn't played. Like He's missed six games for trade-related reasons. Like, how do I get a job where I just get, you know, you don't worry about working today. We'll still pay you your millions of dollars. I, <laughs> they're taking this to a whole new level. I don't know. It's I'm worried that this is going to become a thing every year now yeah and i'm worried that in the month leading up to the trade deadline you might have say next year there's a lot of superstars on the trade block like this year there's you know patrick kane timo meyer you know a couple of big names on the trade block what happens in a year like say and i'll just throw a name out there this will never happen what if connor mcdavid was ever on his last year of his deal and and becomes trade bait at the NHL trade deadline and leading, you know, the month leading up to the deadline, he's being held out of the lineup for trade related reasons. How many pissed off fans are you going to have when, you know, two, three, four weeks before the deadline, you start sitting guys and again, you get the load management that you got the paying consumer, not getting to see a superstar play. It's never going to get to the extent as it is in the NBA, but this very well could extend to more than one or two weeks away from the trade deadline, and then you're going to have pissed off fans. That's what I don't like about this, is this is kind of the – I feel like they're creating this template this year, and it's every team's going to do it next year. And they're going to do it for longer to try to – because all it takes is one guy to get hurt you know, two weeks before the deadline, and then you miss – a significant return on an asset. And then all of a sudden they're going to go, we have to hold them out for a month before the deadline because we can't risk this. I'm worried about that. Well, and that's the thing is I, I'll, I'll start off with, I don't like the load management in the NBA at all. And I don't like this at all. So with a, a slight caveat to that with the, when it comes to the trade related reason, if, if you are in the midst of a negotiation 
with another team that the trade may go down and you got a game that night. Yeah, I'm holding that guy yeah. out because yeah. at any point in time, that trade could go down and you don't necessarily want him to be in that game that night because A, he could get hurt and it all falls apart, right? So you say, okay, we're in the midst of negotiations. We're right there. We got a game tonight. We're going to hold him out. You got a game, hold him out, right? We Let's get this done. We'll continue working on it. If it, the trade is almost done and you got a game that night, if, if it's even going to be maybe through the night and it's the next day, hold them out. I am fine for that. I don't like what Arizona is doing because Arizona is also, they want nothing but entry-level contracts back and draft picks for Chikrin. And who's going to give that up, right? Like their ask is so ridiculous that he may not play another game. Like if they don't trade him, are they going to bring him back into the lineup or are they going to hold him out? He hasn't been practicing. So if they do trade him, the team that's getting him, is not getting a fresh, ready-to-play player. They've been sitting on the sidelines, not practicing, because you can get hurt in practice. You can get hurt in a game. So they've just been sitting this guy on his ass for two weeks. It's not fair to the player. It's not fair to the fans. It's, it makes the league look like a joke. And the Canucks are doing it with Luke Shen. And I partially wonder if that's, yes, because they're trying, they're potentially taking offers for him. But his wife is also due to give birth Almost any time here, like her due date is in and around the trade deadline or just after. So there is that piece. Are they letting him be at home with her to potentially get ready to move in a trade or just be with his wife when the, the birth of his child, their child happens? I don't, if it's strictly trade related reason, I don't like it. If it's letting him to be at home with his wife, then you get that. That's the human side of it. And you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. Right. I don't like it. You know, Timo Meyer has been held out. Patrick Kane has been held out. They've all been held out. And yeah, whether it's first line or fourth line or prospect, whatever it is, if you're healthy, you should be playing. And only if the deal is ready to go down, should then they be held out. If it's not done before game time, like we go back uh, almost a month. It's been since Bo Horvat was traded. And even before that deal was, going down Canucks fans were calling him for him to be held out of games. Like, no, you, you don't do that. If you don't know, you got a deal going on. Right. Cause that, that trade may never come together. Right. Or it falls apart. I know now we're going to keep holding him out for another month. Right. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. You kind of hit on a point that I agree with. I don't mind if it's one game, maybe two games. You're real close to consummating a deal. But when you're starting to hit three, four, five games, you know, two, three weeks of them not playing, that that's not right. That's not right at all. And Arizona, it's, it's well, a, Arizona is also one of the worst ahead. teams yeah. in the sorry, they're also one of the worst teams in the league, which means they have a higher percentage chance of getting the lottery pick first overall to get a potentially generational star in Connor Bedard. So you're essentially holding out one of your best players for losing you're tanking. And you got Gary Bettman sitting there straight face saying teams don't tank. Yeah. Right. <laughs> your golden child in Arizona is doing it right now by, you know, I kind of joked to you the other night because you were losing three, one to Arizona. I'm like, you're losing to an AHL roster in a junior barn. Like that's a team there that is done nothing but tank 
for how long? And Gary Bettman allows it. And that's exactly what the, what the Arizona Coyotes are doing by holding him out is they're increasing their draft lottery odds and protecting an asset with heavy sarcasm behind that. Yeah, I just I just don't want it to become what the NBA's gotten to because that's just not good for the game. It, the best players need to play. Superstars need to play. So let them play and make them play. Like fans pay money to watch superstars. Fans don't pay money to watch Tyler Mott. Fans pay money to watch Patrick Kane. Fans pay money to watch Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Austin Matthews. So make sure when the fans pay their money, these people are playing. Yeah. Please. Well, there's a real easy way to end it too. Is if, if you're a team and you got a player that says, hey, I want to be load man managed 15 games a year. Okay. We're not paying you for those 15 games if you're healthy. We'll do it, but it's going to affect your contract because that's yeah. right. Like, you're refusing to work. You're refusing to work if that's your call. Now, if the team's doing it, that's on them. But, you know, if that's the player coming to him saying, hey, you know, I know the season's 82 games, but I only want to play 68. Okay, we're going to pay you for 68. We're not paying you for 70, for 82. So, I mean, yeah, that would, never, that would never happen. But it, it, it would it, never it, happen. Yeah. Yeah. It did, <clears> if the, if, the only way they could ever make it have work is it, and I'll say in the NHL in particular because they have a salary cap. If you actually had to take a salary cap penalty for trade related reasons, load management, where the player's salary counts double against your cap for the games they missed or something like that, that'd be the only way you could ever really, really stop it. But then you would just have everybody sitting with an upper body injury. So they would, they would, they would just find a way around it. It's always a loophole. There's always, especially in the NHL CBA, there's a loophole for everything. Oh, we'll get to some of those because it's going on right now. But yeah, that's that's Are You Kidding Me for this week. Uh, let us know what you think about the NBA All-Star Game. Did you watch? Did you enjoy it? Did you think it was garbage? What do you think about load management in the NBA and sitting out players for trade-related reasons in the NHL? Uh, I think we're both uh, on the same side of not liking it at all. Um Trevor's at the BleachCon1. I'm at the BleachCon2 on Twitter. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. Trevor, it's time to bring back Jays in flight. It is that time of year already. Spring training is back up and going. We've already had a Blue Jays W against the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, just yesterday. In a, in, I think what we're mostly going to talk about, though, is the changes to the Major League Baseball this year because – Let's face it, it's spring training. Guys are getting two, three innings. It's mostly players that aren't going to be on the roster come opening opening day. So let's look at a little, a few new things. Trevor, what do you want to start with first? Well, I think we have to start with the biggest rule change of them all. And as of right now, I'm in favor of this rule change, though we did see an awkward situation come up in the first round of, of spring training games, and that's the pitch clock. I'm in favor of the pitch clock and I'm going to kind of go through the basic rule changes for those that may not understand uh, kind of, there's a, a few different scenarios around how the pitch clock is going to work in between batters. There's a 32nd pitch clock 
from the time the guy gets out or gets on base to the next guy and the first pitch having to be thrown. I like that. Get your ass to the plate. Get into the get into the batter's box. Quit the Nomar Garcia para forty five on doing the the batting gloves and you know resting the bat against your crotch and then step in step out like get that shit out of the game that that is such a waste of time and people might talk about oh but it just adds to the lore no it doesn't it, it, in between every pitch I don't need to see a player adjust their batting gloves fifty times I love that part of the 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 pitch clock thirty seconds get your ass in the box and get ready to swing the bat in between pitchers when there's nobody in between pitches sorry when there's nobody on base 15 seconds i like it get the signal down get the pitch thrown 20 seconds when there is a runner on base again i like it get it going now i was watching him in the spring training game yesterday and i saw the pitch clock in you know on the backstop and that's going to take some getting used to and you can't tell me that's not distracting to pitchers to all of a sudden have the, the pitch clock going and, oh, I'm at five, I'm not ready. Like, that is going to take some getting used to. Another part of the, what I like about the kind of speeding up the game pitch clock is you're only allowed, you know, a couple of pickoff attempts in each at bat. So you're not allowed to have the pitcher throw over the first 75 pitches in a row. I like it. Now, they call it disengagements, and I think you're only allowed two. That might be a little low, in my opinion, just because – if you get a speedster on there, part of the game is trying to hold him close so he doesn't get second base for three. I'm a little iffy on this one because you're you're really giving a benefit to the base stealer. Uh, and there's already some uh, stats out there where, like, successful stolen base attempts in the minors last year went from, like, 70 to 80%. You know, that's significant. So you're going to see it a is. lot more stolen bases. Um. You're, uh, you can do a third pickoff attempt once they move to another base. Like, it's only per base. I, I don't mind that. Once they get off first base, it's not an issue anyways. Another thing I like about it is also this isn't all on the pitcher. It's also on the batter. The batter has to be engaged in the batter's box with eight seconds to go in the pitch clock. And this is where we had some controversy in a spring training game yesterday where I can't remember who was at bat. Three, two, two outs. You know, bottom of the ninth, base is full, and the guy gets an automatic strikeout because he wasn't engaged in the batter's box. And it, it was almost pass. simultaneously, too. He, like, looked up at that eight-second mark, and the umps was already calling the, the automatic strike for the out. Yeah, we're, I, that's a tough one for me. That one's going to take some getting used to. Now, I did a, a little bit of reading up on this. They've already been using some of these rules and pitch clocks for about 3,000 games in, in minor league baseball. It's been tested. It's been – there's going to be some kinks as the major league players get used to it, but it has been tested. And there hasn't been, from my understanding, that many crazy scenarios that you know where the pitch clock <clears throat> really came into play. Where it is successful – the average ball game is already down. I think it's like 23 minutes or something like that. Like they've shaved 23 minutes off of a baseball game. That's Even a the, lot. And the Jays game was a nine, seven game. So there were 16 runs scored in that game. And it still was what, two and a half hours or something like that. Yes. Two hours and 47 minutes for a game that featured 16 runs there. 
I watched a few innings of it and I liked it. It was continual. There was throw the pitch, ball, strike, get it back, throw the pitch, ball, strike. Oh, guy got out. Oh, next guy's racing to the plate. Like it really just, I think it added to the flow of the game because there was so much less downtime. And that's always been one of the biggest criticisms of Major League Baseball is downtime where pitcher steps off, pitcher adjusts his crotch, pitcher licks his fingers even though he's not supposed to, batter steps out, batter calls time, you know, pitching coach comes out, manager comes out, infielders come in. Like, there's so much time wasted in the game that I like that it's created a better flow. I just hope that there's not too many significant results in, you know, regular season games that are, you know, that come down to uh, – and idiosyncrasy of the pitch clock. And it's like we saw in the spring training yeah. yesterday, but we've had crazy finishes in baseball for years. You know, you get bad calls by the umpires at home plate for blocking the plate or not blocking the plate. So we had a blue Jays twins game last year that <clears throat> clearly the blue Jays should have lost, but because of a rule, they ended up winning. It happens. The pitch clock's going to be no different. It's going to happen. You're just going to kind of get used to that. That's the result and that's the rule. Well, I think for me, I think I'm maybe going to take a little bit of a, the other side of it. Cause I don't necessarily disagree with major league baseball trying to speed a game up a bit. And I think, you know, is the pitch clock, the, the worst thing in the world, probably not. Um, you know, maybe like I said, it's not that I don't like it, but you want to speed things up. You kind of said some of the things like the number of times you step out, the number of times you can go to the mound, the number of times the infield comes in, like limit those type of things. I think like if you can only throw over twice in a, in a, at bat to say first base and that, that guy's a speedster, he's going to try and draw two quick uh, pickoff attempts. And on the third pitch, he's gone. Because he knows you can't do anything to keep him there. He's going to get a 30-foot, 45-foot lead and jog to second base as soon as you let the pitch go. To me, that's taken away some of the the game in, in, in that way. So I, I kind of – the two is, a, to me, maybe a little bit low. I, I will say that, you know, and I, I've, I've, I've seen some people call this out a little bit. Oh, you know, hang on. Our, I want to stop you. You were talking about a guy taking a 30-foot lead. That won't happen because the pitcher is allowed to take a third attempt. They are allowed to take a third attempt, but if they're not successful in that attempt, the guy automatically gets awarded second base. But that is going to stop players from getting that huge, massive lead. Yeah, so I – okay. So that's something there, but, you know – what some people were bringing up online, and I kind of agree with this, is how many pitchers are going to get gassed after 75 pitches or a lot fewer? How many pitchers are gonna, not going to be able to go as deep into a game because they're being rushed to get the pitches off? They're going to be working a lot faster. Does that impact their stamina, their ability to go deep into a game, the quality of pitching? Is that like a lot of times when a pitcher is having a bit of an off inning or an off at bat, they take that little bit of extra time to compose themselves, you know, get centered, kind of try and bring it back. You're not going to have that opportunity. So if you got a guy going out there who is now having to somewhat rush his pitches and he may not be 100% comfortable in that moment, he's not going to be able to collect himself and come back. So it's going to speed the game up. But 
will it have a negative impact on the quality of the pitching and the games because of that? And that's, like I say, I'm not saying that I don't like the rules about trying to speed the game up. I'm just trying to take that other side of the coin so that it's not a two minute conversation on it. Like there is some could like, to me, that might be a legitimate concern that guys can't go as deep and you lose the quality of your superstars being on the field as long. And when it comes to the pitchers, I don't think you're going to lose that. And the reason I don't think you're going to lose that is you're still allowed mound visits. I think you're allowed five mound visits in a game. Well, if a pitcher's struggling and needs a, a quick, you know, reset, then they're just going to do a mound visit. Or so I don't. I don't think. And if and if if you're needing to do multiple mound visits in a in a inning in the first place, chances are the second mound visit is to get that pitcher the hell out of there because he's sucking so bad. I don't think it's really going to have an impact because. You're going to get a mound visit. The guy, the pitcher's going to have to learn to collect themselves in that mound visit. And if they can't, well, they're going to be out of the game anyways. It's going to eliminate them stepping off, walking around the mound five times, trying to intentionally delay. If he's having a long inning, well, that's his own fault. That's the pitcher's own fault. He didn't pitch good enough that inning. Maybe, you know, and, and I'm going to look at this a different way. If a pitcher's in a groove, he might actually be able to go longer in the game because he's going to be maintaining his groove because he's going to be pitching faster, pitching faster, pitching faster. He might actually be able to maintain his groove and it might, you know, they might throw more strikes so they aren't, you know, wasting pitches for down the road for an inning where they may have to throw more pitches because it's been a bit of a struggle and they will only get one mound visit. I I don't foresee this having an impact on the quality of pitching. There's going to be an adjustment period. Like there are some pitchers that take like 60 seconds between pitches. There's going to be an adjustment period for them, but short of that, once they're used to it, I think it's it's a guy pitching a ball and a guy batting a ball. That core dynamic of the game has not changed one iota. When the clock stops as soon as they start their delivery, right? Yeah, so how many guys like Marcus Stroman are going to have the delayed, you know, delivery where they hang the foot in the air for forty-five seconds before continuing? You know, like <laughs> right, like the guys are doing that, like the the different deliveries to try and throw the batter off. And I wonder how many more guys are going to try and develop a delayed delivery to give themselves a little bit more time. Now, the second major, major rule, and I also very much in favor of this rule, is the limits on the shifts and, and banning the shift. I like this rule. I Absolutely. really do. You know, you play a position in baseball for a reason. You're a shortstop for a reason. You're a second baseman for a reason. You're a third baseman for a reason. You're not a right fielder hybrid you're you're not a shortstop playing second base. Like the rule is, you have to have two players on either side of second base. Exactly how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know there there's there's rules in hockey where you, you know defensemen play defense. It's their job to kind of be you know the last line of defense. It's really the same as a shortstop. It's your job to play the shortstop position. And and to me, the shortstop position involves everything from kind of, you know, second base 
to about halfway to third base. And it may be a little bit overlap, but you know, to be out in the right field. <laughs> There is no track. There is no second second baseman. There is no just, uh second shortstop position. I just believe that this is going to bring back to me more grassroots baseball. And I'm in favor of that. It's it's you're not gonna all of a sudden the guy who is a dead pole hitter isn't gonna just have to hit it by six guys on the right side of the field. Kevin Biggio might actually have a shot at hitting 200 this year because they're not gonna have easy <laughs> now, easy. They're not gonna have five guys on the right side. I to me, it's just it's how it should be, and well, I and kind of was getting out of hand. The only thing I'm interested to see is are you gonna have kind of like how you have the wheel play on bunts. Are you going to start to see a little bit of that kind of stuff where as soon as the pitcher starts his delivery, you're going to see infielders running around to try to get around. I'm interested to see if they try to find a way around it or not. But at the end of the day, get the players in the positions that they're playing and, and let's get back to the best hitters can hit the ball everywhere. The best hitters can hit it by where the the fielders are supposed to be and get away from, you know, Joe Blow slugger drop, dropping down a bunt down the left field line or down the left field or third baseline for a double. Like, yeah. let's get away from that stuff. And that's where it was getting stupid. Well, that, that was the other problem, though, is the shift continued to happen because for some reason, Major League Baseball players could not adapt to be able to drop a bunt down the third baseline or – up in between the pitcher and the first baseman for a base hit. They still, they couldn't do that. I know Anthony Rizzo, I think is, you know, just over the moon ecstatic with this rule now because he can like Kevin Biggio, he doesn't have nine guys on one side of the field. And to me, it was just a bit of a joke because you were taking away like as a play better defense and as a hitter, learn how to hit to the whole field. Like, it's your job. You get paid millions of dollars and lots of money to play baseball. Spend some time in the cage learning how to hit the other way, right? Like, it's just all about practicing and honing your craft. So I, I I absolutely hated the shift from day one. I was never a fan of it because it went from maybe once or twice a game you'd see it to every game, every other batter. It was just too, too much. And... Uh, I'm glad they finally got rid of it. Um, yeah, it's about time. And let's move on to kind of the third significant. And I didn't think this was a significant rule change, but as I've kind of looked a little bit more into it, I actually do think this is a significant rule change. And that's the big bases. The bases are have gone from 15 inches to 18 inches. I like the idea of especially at first base. I like the idea of a bigger base, you know, less collisions with the players. It's a safety reason. I like that. I really do like that. I'm not as big of a fan of it around some of the other bases. And, and here's why they've shortened the distance between first base and second base and second base and third base. That distance between the bases is now, I believe it's about four to five inches shorter than what it was before. Couple that with you're only allowed two pickoffs attempts in an at bat. All of a sudden, you're giving the base runner, the stolen base runner, a significant advantage. A, you can only pick off twice. And B, that distance is four and a half inches shorter. Well, it's that's let's say half a stride shorter or a quarter of a stride shorter. 
I think you might see more teams put an emphasis on speed again uh, because you can almost it's almost a freebie if you get a, 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 a real fast guy who gets a single. Well, that single is almost a freebie double now. And I didn't think this was going to have an impact, but I actually think you might see player teams bring in more speed guys, especially for later in the innings when you might be able to steal second and third base a hell of a lot easier now and really put stress on the pitchers late in games. I didn't think this was a huge rule, but as I think about it more, 100% it is. But I also like the stolen base. Like I think I think stealing bases is sexy. So I, I, I'm kind of looking forward to maybe getting back to some grassroots baseball again, let's call it, where speed was a huge part of the game. For a long time, it's just been home runs, home runs, home runs, home runs. I always like that speed element, so I'm kind of excited that we may get a little bit more of that. I I, I don't mind it from the safety standpoint, but yeah, I think they're trying. Like, baseball is a sport where you could have a one nothing game that takes 17 innings. It could be a 22 to 18 game that takes nine innings. Like you have offense or you don't, and I think this was a bit of a way to try and, as you say, with the stolen bases, increase the offense. On the side of just player safety, you could have done this and kept the distance the same. If you wanted to kind of take less collisions at first base, less chance of a, uh, a runner stepping on a, a pitcher or first baseman's heel and causing an injury, well, extend the base into the foul, you know, into the runner's pass in the foul side of the of the line and give them that extra little bit there. But don't cut down the distance to second you could make sliding into second safer by extending the base out to set right center go towards the outfield don't shorten the distance from first to second or second to third third base is a little bit different you can maybe go down the line a little bit more for a slide outwards towards more of the outfield side than inside and create less chance of a collision still a lot more it's more base to cover on defensively on a tag but you're not shortening the distance. Now, it might look a little funnier than just bigger bases because when you actually see it, it is it is bigger. Like, it's noticeably bigger. Um, see how it all does. I think baseball's just trying to find a way to get the games moving and potentially um, increase run production. But, yeah, the base one was not one I was overly concerned about or thought too much of when it first came out. but. We'll, we'll see what it does. Yeah, once 50 games into the year, we won't even notice it. It'll just be old hat and you won't even it won't even you won't even think that it, like that it has an impact on the game because you'll just be so used to seeing it. And one thing that I'm looking forward to is will this maybe cut down on some of those Ooh, the guy accidentally slid off the bag and we went to video replay because the guy's hand slid off the base by a fraction of a millimeter and we had to waste five minutes on a video replay. Are we maybe going to cut down some of those instances because there's a bigger base to, you know, stay touching. I just, that's the only way I can really put it is you might not have as many of those scenarios where the guy accidentally just slides off the base and you have to have the video replay bring in, come in to rule them safer out. I think we might see less of that, which in my opinion is a good thing because that was never the spirit of the, video replay rule where the guy like comes off by a millimeter and <laughs> I, I, that should get cut down, which I think is a benefit. 
yeah, we'll we'll see how it all pl- plays out. And I think we're still running with the Ghost Runner this year for a bit or whatever. That Are we? I don't know. I thought they. I don't know. I, I to me that's a dumb rule one way or another. I think they're. I think they're keeping it this year too. But again, never real fan of that one either. Yeah. Well, Jason Flight is back. We'll we'll have a lot more of that uh, this going forward because it's it's baseball season already. Yay! We're, we're, we're at the end of February and we're talking baseball. Um, let us know what you think about the new rules. Are you in favor? Do you love them? Do you hate them? Are you indifferent? Um, let us know. At the BleacherCon 1 for Trevor. I'm at the BleacherCon 2 on Twitter. And now, Trevor, let's take a trip around the boards. It's one of our favorite times of the year. We kind of hit on it. And are you kidding me? Trade deadline is less than a week away. And we already we're already seeing some wheeling and dealing between teams. It's been going on for a little bit. We're gonna kind of cover off some of the ones that uh that uh we've seen. So what do you want to start with? Do you want to think about what's what's on the trade bait or who's already moved? Well, here's what I want to start with, Ken. And I do believe the trade deadline is going to be very boring for both of our teams. Now, the Canucks have already made their significant trade, which we're about to talk to with Paul Horvat. They've made a couple of minor acquisitions. But for for the most part, both of our teams are, are going to, for here on out, probably remain relatively quiet. And that's because both of our teams have sucked this year. My team, not quite as much as your team, you know, but the Calgary Flames... Honestly, if they're even remotely thinking about making any significant trades, they're nuts. They're wallowing away in ninth place in the conference, you know, a few points back. Even if they do get into the playoffs, this doesn't look like a team that could do damage. I have to believe it's going to be a very quiet trade deadline for the Calgary Flames, and I would not be surprised if they made a grand total of zero trades. Maybe they make one small acquisition on the blue line, I doubt it. I just don't foresee any reason why my team would do anything. I don't really see any reason other than maybe with the Vancouver Canucks, Luke Shen might get traded. The heavy lifting's already been done in Vancouver, so I don't anticipate much more happening with the Vancouver Canucks. Ken, do you see it the same way? Uh, I'll, for the, with the Canucks, I'll start there. Yeah, Luke Shen will probably get traded, but I think for me, in my opinion, if it's anything... I mean, even to me, if it's only a third round pick and Luke Shen has said he wants to be a Canuck, he likes, that's why he came back. He signed a deal with them. He got traded to Tampa. He won a couple cups with them and he signed back. He's from Kelowna. He has his family there. He likes being close to home. Now, he could very well get traded and sign back in the offseason. I'd have no problem with that. But if you're talking about trading Luke Shen for a fourth or fifth round draft pick, keep him. Like, I, I don't see the point in that because... I don't see the point in keeping him. Well... You can always trade him for that pick and bring him back. If he really wants to come back, bring true. him back next yeah. year. Yeah. But I, like even with the Canucks, they talked about being, you know, bank, you know, part of other deals that need money saved. Like, you know, let's stockpile fifth round, sixth round draft picks for cap retention. Like, what kind of prospect are you going to get in that? They're not. There's not a lot of guys that come out of those late rounds that are impact players. I mean, Luke Shen probably will go, and there is a very good chance they could bring him back in the offseason. And if it's around the same money he's making now, I'm fine with that because Luke Shen has been a serviceable player for the Canucks, and he's, a, a, I think, a leader in that locker room and on the ice. And so to me, if Luke Shen goes, Luke Shen stays, 
I, I would want him back in the offseason. Sign him up day one in free agency. Uh, so he could move. I think the Canucks might be that third team in a couple deals. But like I'd say, I'd rather it be for a meaningful pick rather than a fifth or sixth round pick because you're just taking on a cap hit maybe for the rest of the year for a prospect you may not ever see play in the NHL. It's very rare that those guys are impact players. But I think they might do some more. Like I honestly thought on the waiver wire that Kasperi Kapanen and maybe they did put a claim in on him, but St. Louis was ahead. I figured he was a Canuck because you got Rutherford and Alvin <laughs> who brought him to uh, Pittsburgh. I think they're doing what Alvin said, which is they're looking at guys who might need a change of scenery who are in that 24, 25 year range and look to give them an opportunity. I think the Canucks might be in on a couple more of those types of deals where maybe a team has a player like that, that they need to move for cap related reasons to broker bigger deals. I think, I think them getting, um, Vladislav or Vitaly Kratsov. Vitaly, yeah. Vitaly Kratsov from New York was exactly that because New York is trying to make a deal. It seems for Patrick Kane. So I think might, the Canucks might do that. Um, those type of deals. So they, they might not be done, but they're not going to be impact moves. They're going to be moves no, no. potentially for the future that are high risk, low, like low, low impact, high risk. It's not going to cost them a lot to do it, but it could come with a lot of benefit potentially. And if it doesn't work out, well, you, you may not give up a lot. As for the flames, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do because you're Nothing. right. Both of our, both of our teams are very underperforming, but my question to you is where I think they might is Brad Tree Living GMing for his job right now because he doesn't have a contract going into next season. And this team is very much underperforming after, especially after last year and the moves in the offseason. I don't think it's unfair to say that this team is nowhere near where they should be. And that could impact whether he has a job or not. Missing the playoffs by one point or getting in by one point may impact his employment status. So I, I got to ask, is he GMing for his job? And will he potentially, you, I know you said you don't think they're going to make any moves, but based off this question, do you think he'll make potentially a panic move to secure his job? What panic move is he going to make? The, it's night and day. There's one problem with the Calgary Flames this year, and that's their goaltending has been well below average. Both Jacob Markstrom and Dan Vladar have flat out sucked this year. They they both have. And I know there's a lot of love on Flames Twitter for Dan Vladar. I'm sorry, his numbers are his numbers suck. So what is Brad Tree Living gonna do? His biggest reason the Flames are underperforming is goaltending. Who, who the hell is he gonna go and get out of a cap hit that they can afford that's gonna solidify that? Bringing in another top six winger isn't going to fix the goaltending. Bringing in another top flight defender or top four or even top six, you know, uh, defenseman isn't going to fix the goaltending. The Calgary Flames can only get as far as their goaltending is going to take them. And who are they going to go and get? No one's going to take on the Markstrom contract. And I don't, I think Markstrom's probably going to have a bounce back year next year. Who are they going to get that's really going to make a difference? And that's why I don't think they'll do anything different. Maybe they, surprise us and go and get an elite scorer. I, I don't see it to try to outscore some of their 
goal. The Edmonton model is outscore their subpar goaltending. I guess they could try to do that. I just don't see it happening because their biggest need is between the pipes, which I can't believe I'm saying this because heading into the season, we thought it was their biggest strength and it's been their biggest weakness along with many other teams this year. What's he going to do? Well, yeah, their goaltending hasn't been great. And yeah, Markstrom, like last night against the Avs, allowed two goals on the first two shots of the game. I didn't watch a lot of the game. The Canucks played the early one, so watch that. And then uh, the wife and I ended up watching Star Wars Episode Three. Um, but I caught some of the I, some of the highlights um, where on the I think it was the fourth goal. You guys were down three one. Malgin of a guy dresses five of our players on his way to the net, like one on three and <laughs> scores a goal. Like, yeah, Markstrom and Vladar haven't been great. Their numbers haven't been great. Markstrom a lot has, I think he is only second in the league to, I can't remember who on allowing goals on the first shot of the game, which you can't have, but how many of those times is it because there's been defensive letdowns in front oh. of them? Like, so I, I yeah, the goaltending hasn't been great. I can tell you the Canucks goaltending hasn't been great. But I think on both cases, you can also look at it. It's like the defense in front of the goaltending is not helping you guys. Well, the team play in front of the goaltending has been horrific all year. So I don't does he see how bringing in defense. I don't see how – yeah, but defense is, is not just defensemen. Defense is a team game. Like the yeah. forwards haven't been good enough. Like I just don't see – the Calgary Flames are not one significant addition away – from being able to go on a run in the Western Conference. They should be, but they're not. So why would you like why would you do that to potentially, you know, face Colorado in round one and it be a waste of eight days, like Daryl Sutter said last year, because it'd be the exact same thing. Why would you waste significant assets to bring in a player when you're gonna get shelled in the first round anyways? Yeah, I, I'm just curious because you know Sutter has a contract. For what another two more years or whatever, Tree Living doesn't, and that's yeah, that, that's going to be a story of an off season, right? Like that is where you're kind of does Tree Living bite the bullet and go? If I'm going down, you're going down with me, Daryl, because I provided you a roster, and this is you know, I'm not saying Sutter's the problem. I'm not one of the ones on Flames Twitter calling for Sutter's head, like many, 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 many do, um, and Markstrom's head. I know. <laughs> Kevin Week said you guys might be in on Cam Talbot, which is then, well, who are you trading in see it. Yeah. Like, who's leaving? Like, you're not going to send Vladar to the minors. He'll get picked up probably by someone. Um, you're not trading Markstrom the other way because he's got a no-trade clause, so he'll veto that in half a second. Um, I, I just don't know. Like, you're to me, the Flames are a team that are just like, well, what the hell is wrong with you, and well, how do you fix it? Because you shouldn't have to. Right, like you've got the pieces, so what do you do? It's a it's a conundrum because I don't know what the hell the Flames should or could do to fix it because there really shouldn't be anything broken with that team. It's a confidence thing, and it's hard to fix confidence. Like you can, yeah. you see it when they play. They 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 grip the sticks too tight. They miss wide open nets. They hit the goalposts. They have like defensive lapses at critical points. Like it's all a confidence thing. Yeah. Like I, I actually don't think it's a roster management issue. I think the goalies don't have confidence. The the forwards don't have confidence. The defense are making you know brutal reads. To me, it's it's just they're they're not they're just not in sync. And I'll, that, I'll speak to that too because like with the Canucks, like you 
And again, I, this is not any shots taken at Bruce Boudreaux. Yesterday, they played the Boston Bruins and lost 3-1, where, yes, the third goal was scored by the goalie on an empty net. But the Canucks were not – they weren't banging on the door to be in that game to get a W, but they weren't out of that game. Three months ago, before the coaching change or at any other point in the season before that coaching change, they would have been shelled 6-0. I can honestly – Hands down, say that with confidence. They would have got their asses kicked. Like, I did not expect them to win that game. The fact that they were going into the final minute of the game down by one and pressing to get a tying goal, I was impressed. But what Talkett has done is he's he's changing that system and he's trying to build up the players to see what's going And they have played. They're allowing better, the fewer shots per game. They're getting better chances. The number of grade A chances they're giving up are going down, except when the chaos giraffe Tyler Myers is on the ice. It's it's been a night and day difference, with the exception of that Seattle game where they got shelled. They haven't looked like that team before the coaching change. I think there is a little bit of more confidence, a little less distractions in the room, and it's making an impact on the product. They're, they're doing better. They're still not winning games. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're, but you can see the difference in how they're playing. The the, the they're buying in, and I, I don't see that with the Flames. Yeah. Well, I, I think, and, and we'll touch on this in a later recording, if the Flames do and if when the Flames miss the playoffs, I don't see them making it. It's This could be the second summer in a row where the Calgary Flames dominate the offseason just strictly for news and headlines because there's you know the potentially of tree living being gone. There's the potential maybe Sutter gets fired is – you know, is there unrest in the dressing room? I think it could be a very, very interesting offseason for the second year in a row in Calgary when they most likely do miss the playoffs. So let's let's move past our teams, kind of. We're going to talk about some of the big trades that have happened. The trade deadline really started on January 30th, and that was when your Vancouver Canucks traded their captain, Bo Horvat, who'd been rumored to be on the block, but not sitting for trade-related reasons, got moved to the New York Islanders in return for Anthony Bavillier, Aturati, a 2023 first-round, you know, conditional pick. It's a first-rounder no matter what, whether it's 23 or 24, it's a first-round yeah. pick. I was actually with you when this trade went down. We were walking around West Edmonton Mall, and we actually talked about it quite a bit that, that weekend. How did this ever come to be? I did. I never understood this. I don't like it. I don't like that the Vancouver Canucks traded their captain. I don't. How do you trade a heart and soul guy? You know, we've talked about the roster mismanagement that led up to this. You know, I'm still baffled that the Canucks had to move on from Bo Horvat. He should have been, and Bo Horvat said it that he thought he'd be a Canuck for life, and he, he, well, he said he that, and he wanted to be. And he wanted to be. He should have been a Vancouver Canuck for life. This is such a mismanagement by Vancouver Canucks organization. As far as the return, they actually did relatively well in this trade. I'll, I I can't knock that. Beauvillier, you know, decent young, big body player, speed. I, I can't fault that. You get a first rounder. But again, you traded your captain for what he didn't have to. Um Ken, what's your thoughts? I don't like it. I think Vancouver mismanaged this horrifically. You know, I, I, I've said from 
from day one. Do I want Bo Horvat to get traded? No. But also, do I want to be paying Bo Horvat the $8.5 million for eight years that the New York Islanders turned around and signed him to? Also, no. Bo Horvat, yes, is that type of guy, heart and soul type of player, uh, brings a lot to the table, but he was making five, five and a half million dollars on his current contract right now. To me, I didn't see him as the intangibles being a $3 million raise per season. And you want to talk about cap management, paying him eight and a half million dollars for what he's doing this season alone is would have been a, a cap cap more cap mismanagement, if you want to call it that, because yes, he's having a career year. And since he's been traded, he and Anthony Bovillier have been scoring at the same pace. Our new Beau, Villier, has come in and is scoring at the same rate, playing with Pedersen, that Bo Horvat was not playing with Pedersen. Canucks aren't losing out on the point production. They're not still not getting the wins. Um, now you want to talk about locker room stuff. The team seems to, and there's maybe a talk it thing. Maybe it's not necessarily a Horvat thing, but the team seems to be having a different mentality and different look when it comes to JT Miller's not smashing sticks and losing his shit on the ice every game. He's playing differently. Um, and I'm not saying it's a Horvat was a problem, but to me, I don't have issue with the trade because of the contract that he signed. If he went to the Islanders and signed an eight-year, $7.5 million contract, I'd be like, are you kidding me? That is what I said was the money I'd pay him, seven and a half, would be kind of at that top end. But because of what he got paid, I don't have an issue with it. Yes, it's sad to see him go, but let's be honest. Aginla left the Flames. Because how much winning did the Flames do with Aginla? How many cups did Aginla and the Flames win with that heart and soul type of guy? They didn't. The Canucks have not made the playoffs very often with Bo Horvat as the heart and soul guy of this team. And you need to make changes sometimes. And sometimes it has to be that damn drastic. Now I go back to well, almost 20 years, 25 years, whatever it was, from when Trevor Linden, as well, stripped of the captaincy by Mike Keenan, to give to his boy Vessier was traded from Vancouver to the Islanders. That was a deal because Messier, that was not the same type of deal. That was Keenan wanting to make Messier the guy in the locker room. And he had to get rid of the actual guy to do it. I don't have as much issue with it. And I'll be completely honest with you and say the world of social media and the constant rumors and, you know, barrage of, experts and coming out with their opinions on it. I wasn't floored by this trade. Um, I did think, I do think the Canucks did well in their return. It could be a potentially a 13th round pick. If the Islanders miss the playoffs, then they're going to be potentially looking at if it's 12 or higher uh, or lower, the, the Islanders can keep it. And if not, then the Islanders will, it'll move to the Islanders pick in 2024 if they do keep it. And it could still potentially be a high lottery chance pick because the Islanders, unless they are make drastic changes, are not going to be that great again. And to me, I don't hate this trade. Obviously, I would have liked Bo Horvat to stay at Canuck, but not at the money that the Islanders gave him. I'm I'm fine with that. 
Yeah, and I just want to touch on one point here, and then we'll move on. That first-round pick very well could be, especially if it reverts from a 2023 to 2024, which it most likely will. The East is stacked, and there's no reason saying that the 2024 New York Islanders aren't going to be a good team. So I think there is the possible uh, um, potential that that 2024 first-round pick might actually be a high pick. And if it is then that's very well done by the and, Vancouver Canucks. And it also could be now, again, you if it is a good draft, you may want to keep it, but if it's a so-so draft, it also becomes a great trade chip to potentially pick up something that you need in an NHL ready player and keep your own first round pick. If you know, depending on how it looks or if yeah. you're playing, if the Canucks are going to be a playoff team next year, not saying they will be, but if they are in the playoffs and they're looking like they're going to do well, we'll trade your first round pick and keep the Islanders and have a better pick, right? Like they have options to do that as well. The return Atu Ratu. I know it's Ratty, but it's pronounced Ratu really strange. Um, you know, that's another guy who's a potentially, could be an impact player if he gets the proper development and comes in. He's played a couple games. He didn't look out of place. Um, he's still young, chance to develop. You could get two really good players out of that, and you're not in cap hell. Now, the next kind of significant trade that happened was the New York Rangers acquired Vladimir Tarasenko. Now, Vladimir Tarasenko in the last few years – had been like a lethal, lethal scorer, potential 30, 40 goal scorer. I don't know if that's the Vladimir Tarasenko that the Rangers acquired. I do like this move though. The Rangers are all in. The Rangers are a very good team. The Rangers have a lot of talent. The Rangers are probably going to get Patrick Kane here in the next week as well. They're going all in. They identified a need for elite scorers because some of their younger guys uh, Lafreniere and, and Cabocaco haven't kind of hit as much as they thought they might. This just gives more depth. I like this move for the Rangers. And, you know, it costs them Sammy Blaze. Cost them a, a first-round pick. But, again, it, that's that's going to be almost a second-round pick. Like, the, the Rangers are a very good team. I like it. I This is a good fit. You got you could get Tarasenko playing with his countryman, Panarin, and that could be a lethal duel. I, well, and that's a, a, that's a huge thing. That's to me, that right there is what makes this a great trade because Panarin, I think, was probably a voice pushing for this because they're good friends. And that could be a a boost to an already good player in Panarin. And that could be the boost that Tarasenko needs to be to go be back to that lethal score. I think that's a it's a great move for the for the Rangers, who I still hate because of 1994, but it's a great move for them. And I mean, yeah. Sammy Blay, whatever, he goes back to the to the blues. Hunter Skinner, yeah, and a, like a conditional first round pick that is probably like as you say a late pick and whatever depending on the conditions. So you make that move every day. Now the next significant move, and this one kind of caught me by surprise. I didn't expect the Toronto Maple Leafs to make such a significant move, and I'm I'm not convinced it was the move they needed to make. I would have thought they might have wanted to bolster their blue line, but they went out and got Ryan O'Reilly and Nolan Chari. Pretty much from St. Louis, you know, Minnesota brokered some money in there for some draft picks. I originally was kind of like, wow, that, that's a really big trade. But then, you know, I got thinking about it a little bit. Ryan O'Reilly's been really banged up this year. So th that's a uh, that's a significant price to pay for a guy who's been hurt. 
But Ryan O'Reilly is also a consummate Stanley Cup champion. Can he provide the leadership the Leafs so desperately lack come playoff time? And this is a maybe. I don't know what to grade this trade yet because this trade will be graded after round one. If the Leafs get through round one, this trade's a success. If the Leafs don't get through round one, this trade's an epic failure. That's it for the Leafs. There's not a whole lot to talk about on this one because this this trade is all about the playoffs for the Leafs. And can they get over the hump? I don't know if they can. They're going to have to most likely play Tampa Bay in round one again. And are you going to beat them? I don't know. You know, Nola Chari adds some down the lineup depth in the third and fourth line. That's probably an upgrade on what they had. Ryan O'Reilly is a Stanley Cup champion. Ryan O'Reilly adds, you know, more skill to the top six. Is their blue line good enough? Is the goaltending good enough? We're about to find out. This is this is a this is this trade screams first round playoffs. That's when we'll judge this trade. So I give this I give this trade a C. I'll give it a grade right now. It's a C. Ryan O'Reilly has not been, uh, for whatever reason, injury-related or not, he hasn't been good for the last couple no, of years. So you're picking up a guy that has struggled and expecting him on a new team to bust out and be a one-and-a-half-point-per-game player? Like, here's the other thing. The Leafs in this year's draft do not have a first. Now, they do not have a second. Their third could be taken by Arizona if they if Arizona does not want the 2025 second round pick. Now, if I'm the Coyotes, I'm taking this to screw the Leafs over because they wouldn't have a pick until the fifth round in this year's draft. Next year, they have their first. They don't have a second. They don't have their third. In 2025, they maybe have a second and they don't have a fourth. They have sold their future I don't know if you sold your soul, sold their future, whatever you want to do, to make a move to get players like Nick Foligno, who didn't pan out. Ryan O'Reilly, who probably won't pan out. Right? Like, Matt Murray is injured yet again. Sam Samsonov, like, you, you're... To me, the goaltend, yeah, sure, they can outscore things, or second in the, the East, in the division, whatever, but the same problem still exists for them. They, lo they load up on forwards, but they... He probably needs more defensive help. They they are relying on goaltenders who are injured and have lost the net before and have crumbled under pressure. This trade for me is a C because I don't think it meets their actual needs. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, again, that's why I said I was shocked. Uh, I want to move on. Boston, the Boston Bruins, the rich get richer. I, they made a single. I, well, there's one. There's one before that yeah. I want to talk about just because I, I, it pisses me off. The and Shea Weber the, contract. Yes. Yes, it's the Weber contract going from the Golden Knights to the Coyotes, and the return is who gives a shit. You know, Dyson Mayo is never going to be a, an impact player for the Golden Knights, but it allowed the Golden Knights to get clear almost $8 million in cap space for the deadline when they're already millions of millions of dollars over the cap in players signed, but they use these contracts. And to me, this is a deal that, pisses me off because the NHL is allowing these dead contracts for players who will never play again to be moved to get around a hard cap. And it allows them to be able to go out and pick up impact players. And we'll talk about a move that the Vegas Golden Knights made today. 
later on. Like, yeah, but see, I look at this less as Vegas circumventing the cap. I actually think Arizona wanted this contract. Arizona is well, them too. Building, yes. Arizona is playing in a building of 5,000 people. Arizona's not raking in the money. Arizona just added $8 million to their cap hit where the real money money paid is like a million dollars. I actually think Arizona wanted to make this trade because they now don't have to spend a real $7 million to bring up their cap hit next year. This, To me, this isn't one of those Vegas circumventing the cap. I actually almost think it's more Arizona circumventing the cap to to get fake to get fake cap dollars. Yeah, it's both in my opinion because it's just two teams manipulating the the hard cap and with a ceiling and a floor to to just the rich get richer and the poor stay poor and in Arizona's case the wanting to stay poor. Yeah. And then let's move on to the Boston trade quickly. Garnet Hathaway ex Calgary Flame ending up in Boston along with Dimitri Orlov kind of, you know, hits two birds with one stone for the Bruins. They get more forward depth, the rich get richer and they get another defenseman. The rich get richer. This team's stacked. This team's loaded. They know that they're at the end of their window. They're going for it. Good on them. I, I never have an issue. They traded, you know, a first, a third and a second in the upcoming years. Like they paid a significant price, but they're going for it. They know they have one, maybe two years left, and tell with it. Try to win another Stanley Cup. Oh, I think it's this forever. year. Yeah, I think it's I this think year, and that's it. Well, yeah, I, I actually think, think they do. win the cup this year. I like this. Like I really do. If they do, then you're going to see Bergeron's going to be done. You know, they might be able to get Pasternak back. Who knows how long Marchand has still got has what he's got left in the tank and wanting to stick around for. But I think this team, they are very much. After this season, I don't know if the band comes back next year. I don't think you're going to see Bergeron come back because it was a one-year deal. And you, what you're seeing them do, I, to be honest, I it's yeah, it's a great trade for them. But I was really kind of surprised that they made such an impact move based on the fact they've lost eight games in regulation. What other than in some insurance, and this is more than insurance. But what do you really need to do to? for that team to be successful to yeah. me. Like it's just, it, it was a little mind boggling because it's like, are you risking the chemistry with the team by bringing in new players? That, that was the only thing I was kind of like, ah, but it's a great trade for them. They picked up good players. Yeah. Uh, we've got, you know, your Canucks acquired the Telecrat stuff. We already talked about it. That's a cap dump for the most part for the Rangers. Cause most likely the Rangers are going to be landing Patrick Kane. Yo, and it's one time that I've actually seen the Rangers fans saying how they got fleeced and actually seeing a United Canuck front saying that Patrick Alvin and the Canucks got a W on it. Like, I was like, am I on Canucks Twitter? I don't see the negativity. Like, where's the negativity? Like, to me, it was very strange. And I I don't mind the deal at all. But you're right. It is a cap dump for them. Yeah. And on the weekend, you had Winnipeg acquired Nino Niederreiter. Kind of an underperformer his whole career, but still a solid player. The Jets are right there in the West. Like they're they're going to be in the playoffs. Just adds a piece. I got no issue with it. Second round pick is maybe a steep price to pay, but no no big deal. We we kind of saw a hockey trade on the weekend as well. Dennis Gurianov leaving Dallas to Montreal. Montreal getting Dadanov. Like this almost for a trade deadline deal almost feels like a hockey trade. 
Yeah. You know, Dadnov's probably the better player, but Gurianov, I think, has a higher ceiling. I know very well what Dennis Gurianov could do. He torched my flames in the playoff bubble in during COVID, scoring like six goals in the series, and the guy's got speed to kill. Kind of a hockey trade. I was going to say the happiest fan base with this trade was Flames Nation. Yeah. And then the Golden Knights made a somewhat significant acquisition on the weekend, bringing in Ivan Barbashev from the St. Louis Blues. You know, a guy who can put the puck in the net. They were afforded this cap space because of Mark Stone being on long-term injury reserved and moving out the Shea Weber contract. There's rumors they might be involved in Timo Meyer as well, which will time will tell. But, you know, Vegas making a move. They're first – they're near the top of the Pacific. They have a shot if they're healthy, so – yeah, don't mind it. Yeah, we'll see what they, if they try and do anything for goaltending to shore that up a little bit. I mean, they're like they're already at top of the Pacific, but there's also some there's a lot of teams in the Pacific Division that are underperforming heavily, which also helps them out. Yeah. And then let's quickly just touch on some of the big names left that we think are gonna get moved if they haven't already. You know, there's the the the, the trade bait board. We're looking at from TSN, you know, Patrick Kane, number two on this board. While rumor is he's already been traded to the Rangers, it just hasn't been officially done yet. If the Rangers do get Patrick Kane, I think they 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 significantly go up the power rankings in the Eastern Conference. They'll be a force to be reckoned with. I, I still think Boston's the team to beat. Ken, does Patrick will Patrick Kane make the Rangers almost unbeatable? I, uh, I don't know. Maybe. Depends if you get Kane, if he can get ramped up. Because, like, let's be honest. I mean, Kane's looked somewhat disinterested the last little bit. Obviously playing on a well, Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But maybe, the, you know, going to the playoffs, you know, energizes them. But, again, it, it's a big move moving to a different conference, different competition much harder competition no, and much. trying to and trying to gel with a team that's already gelling. So potentially if you can get the right Patrick Kane, very much so he could be an, an impact player for him. And then you've got Timo Meyer of the San Jose Sharks. He's an RFA. This is why I find Timo Meyer very interesting is you're not trading for a guy that you're just potentially going to lose automatically. There's two major suitors believed with um, the New Jersey Devils and the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't know how Vegas makes this trade and gets him signed. That's the thing with Timo Myers. You're going to get an opportunity to sign him, to have him on your team for the foreseeable future. I don't see how this works in Vegas, though. He is rumored that that's one of his destinations. I think he's also got a $10 million qualifying offer that you have to except if you want him to stay or else negotiate a long-term contract. I see him going to New Jersey because I just don't know how Vegas fits him into their long-term plans. And, and I don't think they'll be able to pay the same asset price that New Jersey will be able to because of that. So I think he's going to end up in Jersey, but Vegas always seems to get something done. So I would not surprise me. Hey, I could see Carolina also potentially making a push. For that rumor is they're out. The, the, yeah. There's rumors floating around that Carolina was out on this, but that may be just trying to drive the price up. Yeah, and, and because Carolina is a team that could probably make that move, I'm with you on how 
um, how they get this done in Vegas it would be damn near impossible because looking at the roster, they have so many guys, they're big ticket money guys that are no trade clause. So you'd have to look at Nicholas Waugh, Chandler Stevenson. Um, you'd have to look at potentially moving Shea Theodore, uh, Zach Whitecloud, Nicholas Haig. Those are their guys that you're going to have to make move to make that money work going forward. So what you got to tear up pretty much almost everything to make it work to get that signed because there's not a lot of guys with big ticket deals that are coming off the books at the end of the year. So that, that, that's why I don't see it working with Vegas because you also have nine and a half million sitting on LTIR with Mark Stone, five million on Robin Leonard, uh, Nolan Patrick, 1.2, but he's an RFA, right? Like to me, they'll, they'll figure something out to make it work. They always seem to manipulate the cap somehow. Um, but who knows, maybe they trade back for Shea, the- or Shea Weber and, get that cap relief to make it work. Yeah. I, who knows? They always they're yeah, I enough of that. They're they're jackasses. And a, a player we talked about earlier who's been sitting for trade related reasons for what feels like a month, Jacob Chikrin. Like I'm so tired of listening to Jake about Jacob Chikrin just f and trade him already and get it over with. Like this has been going on for 18 months. Trade the guy. Trade I, him. I say he doesn't get traded. I say he's I a coyote now and he's either. a coyote afterwards because they are – he's two years still under contract. Like, he has two years more at yeah. at a very reasonable $4.6 million. This is an off-season is, trade. There's not enough people who could take on that contract. Right I don't now. think this it is. is. But based is on Arizona's season. ask, Arizona's ask is for no money – no actual money to have to be paid in a player. They, the the rumors are they want nothing but entry level contracts or or prospects or picks, which means a team trying to make a push for the playoffs and is probably cap strapped already has to try and move money elsewhere and other deals to make it happen. But that's why and, exactly why I'm saying this future. is an off season. This is an off season deal because there's not enough players who can absorb or teams that can absorb that cap in right now. But let me ask the question though: Is Jacob Chikrin the type of player you blow your roster up in the offseason for? I don't know that he is. So that's what I'm saying. I don't think he gets traded. I think this is a thing for the rest of this year and the next two years until he is potentially a free agent and someone offer sheets his ass if he's a UFA or, or if he's an RFA at the end of the deal. I don't know that he is or isn't. Um, he's. 24 so he probably will be yes still an rfa and i say someone comes in with an offer sheet and arizona goes okay we'll take your draft picks i highly doubt they have any intent on taking any real money back in any deal and i can't see any team going you know what jacob chikrin is the guy we blow up our entry because a lot of the guys on entry level contracts are your prospects that you're building for the future and if that's all they're willing to take I can't see teams gassing those guys and moving four to five million more dollars in an impact player to bring in Jacob Chikrin. I just I think he's a coyote until that deal runs out. I could yeah, be wrong, I, yeah. but I just can't see teams doing that. And outside of those top three guys, it really falls off fast as to what's left and available. 
And those two of those guys may not even make it to the trade deadline. I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to be watching trade deadline coverage this year because I don't really care where Jake McCabe ends up. I don't really care where Vladislav Gavrikov ends up. Like, you want to know where Sam Lafferty goes? I don't really care where Sam Lafferty goes. Luke Shen, I don't really care. Like, you know, that's a six or seven defenseman. Like, come on, Shane Gossespierre is on the board. Shane Gossespierre at least has power play value. Uh, Brock Besser, maybe like a team might take a chance, but he's really, you know, he's only got 38 points in 50 something games this year. Like, hard to take on 6.65 million. Like, it really drops off. Matias Eckholm, like that's a name that stands out to me, but that, that's an off-season trade because he's got term left. He's got you know, six and a quarter million at three years. What contender is taking that on right now? They're all cash-strapped. Like, well, let's, let's talk Carlson, about another guy. Yeah, Eric that's Carlson. Guy. Like, there's been tons of rumors in Oilerland that they want to pick up Eric Carlson. It's like, well, you want to pick up a guy that's going to cost you six, seven, eight, nine million dollars against your cap. You've already got Darnell Nurse that sucks. Why do you want Eric Carlson, who only knows how to play offense? Like, sure, he might be a power play quarterback. Last time I checked, the Edmonton Oilers aren't hurting on the power play. No, like no. Eric Carlson to me is so far away from what the Oilers need that I can't even believe they're linked. Sure, he's got sexy name value, but really, does he though? Does he? The guy, the guy got paid for what he did how many years ago, and he's never been the same player injury. He's got seventy-seven points this year, but that's this year. He owes San Jose all those points a year and more for the past how many years he hasn't produced, and that's the thing is he is having a contract year in the middle of a contract, and he's not been that player. He's having a breakout season, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's going to win the Norris. He's going to win the Norris." Well, let's talk about that for a second with Eric Carlson. The guy's been on the ice. There's only one other player that's been on the ice more for goals against than Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson has been on the ice for over like 81, 82 goals. And they're talking about how he's going to win the defensive award because he's getting points. This is a guy that isn't going to provide you what the, the Oilers need, which is an actual defender. They need someone who can actually play defense and make it so that Jack Campbell doesn't give up the first shot of every game as well. You know, like that's it. That's another, they need to find a goaltender because Jack Campbell ain't it. And I've said that from the day they signed him. And you know what? Like I, I don't, you don't always get a lot of things right, but I'm taking a check mark on Jack Campbell <laughs> sucking and not being the goaltender they needed. They, are you right? And like pe- people talked about the, not making the moves being, a reason to be rewarded. And they're talking about Dubis making the right choice and not signing him. And he looks like an absolute genius for that. Yeah. And here's another wrinkle in the whole Eric Carlson thing. There's no way San Jose is going to eat 50% of this contract. Like a lot of, there's a lot of fans think they're going to. San Jose is not going to eat 50% of a contract that's going to give them a cap hit for four more years at $6 million against them. They're not going to do that. Not a chance. There's they not want a nothing to do with take, it. They're, they're not, they're not going to take a $6 million cap penalty just to get rid of Eric Carlson. Only way he gets traded is if San Jose retains 25%. Um, Arizona won't do it because it's actual money. But another team would have to go. It would have to be San Jose 25, a middle team 50, 
and then that leaves Edmonton to only pay 25% of that. But that middle team taking 50, like you're talking about having to bring on $4 million for four years. Like you'd be asking for multiple first round picks for that cap space. I just don't see how this logistically ever works. It can't, it's impossible. Like, and I know they're talking about, well, Jesse Pugliarby. Okay. Well, he only makes three million. There's still eight and a half million dollar difference. But, and who's taking hits. who's taking him on at three million dollars? Exactly. I just right? I, like his name. Carlson's name being on this trade board, in my opinion, is crazy. I, I just they don't have him see, at, six, at nineteen or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I just don't see how that's ever going to happen. This is not a trade deadline type deal. It's I can't see it happening. You know. They got Colton Pareko seven years left. Like that, that's never going to happen oh. at a trade deadline. Like he's right near the bottom of the trade bid. There's no way. Like I was seven years left on his contract's going to get traded at the trade deadline. I would take Colton Pareko on my team in a heartbeat, but that's something that would happen in the offseason. You know, a name that is lower on the list that could end up happening is a guy like Sean Monahan. He's a UFA next year. He could be had for a team look for you know, a little bit of depth down the middle for a playoff run. But is he even healthy right now? Yeah, he's somewhat healthy. That's the story of Sean Monahan. You know, you could probably get Montreal to eat half of his contract for the rest of the year, and you could probably plug him in on your third or fourth line if you need, you know, a depth center. I could see that Monahan, maybe John Klingberg and Anaheim, he's a UFA. And there, you know, there's a guy the that they would defensive depth. Yeah, yeah, they would retain. Like those are guys I could see moving, and guys that might actually have some value. Some, you know, they got. They're saying Warren Fogle and Edmonton. Well, Edmonton's in a playoff spot. They're not going to get rid of some of their. They have very limited forward depth as it is outside of the top six. So why get rid of one of those guys? Like I just don't see that happening. So no, yeah, like I. I think this is going to be a boring trade deadline. Once Patrick Kane and Timo Meyer are moved, it's going to be boring. Well, and here's the thing that I find funny about Patrick Kane is he probably could have moved um, before Tarasenko did, but he chose to sit on his decision and wait, and then he sulked. And, well, I'm really upset that, you know, the, the Rangers got Tarasenko. And, uh... Well, that's your choice, man. Like, you could have said to the team months ago, Here's where the teams that I'm willing to be traded to do your business. Yeah. And it could have probably happened and you probably could have been there three months ago if you had just made a decision, right? Like yeah. to me, I'm not a Patrick Kane fan and I kind of hope he has to stay in Chicago and play out that contract and <laughs> finish near the bottom. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be boring. I think the, a lot of the heavy lifting's already been done. Once again, overhyped coverage by every media outlet here in Canada. It's craziness. You listen to the radio, you watch TV every day. One, two hours of trade deadline coverage. It's like, I can only listen to Timo Meyer and Patrick Kane and Jacob Chicken for so long. I'm tired of it. I'm ready for, by the time we record, if we get to record next weekend, the deadline will be over. Thank God. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's fun speculating, but some of this crap they speculate on is just ridiculous. Well, they're talking on Hockey Night in Canada about how the sports that's going to have like 22 different personalities coming in to to cover it. And it's like, oh, man, like I'm I'm glad it's a Friday and I'll be at work that day. And just kind of just watch the TSN and 
alerts pop up and see who actually gets moved. But from a Canuck standpoint, just kind of circling back, I, I am interested to see if they do try and pick up a few other guys that they, as they've said, or maybe need a change of scenery uh, and try and start a little bit of the potential retool, rebuild, whatever they want to call it um, before the season goes. It, it'll be interesting. I just, I'm tired. I'd rather hear about the trade talk than rather hear about the tank talk, because I tell you, man, uh, from a Canuck standpoint, the, the fans are pissed off when they lose They or and they're pissed off when they win. They're, they're pissed off about everything. And it's just, if I'm going to say it right now, if you're on team tank and you hope the team doesn't do well, then just turn the damn TV off. Don't pay attention to the team and look how they do at the end of the season. Cause frankly, hearing about it all the time, it it's, it's draining to me. You're not an actual fan. If you're cheering for the team to lose as someone who lives outside the viewing region, I am a paying customer of the Vancouver Canucks and the NHL. And if I was to actually see my team purposely tanking, I can tell you what would happen right away. I would no longer be a paying customer of that team or that league if teams are going to outright go out and try and lose on purpose. If you come by it honestly and you're horrible, then you come by it honestly as long as you're giving an effort. And that's there's a huge difference in my books there. Well, and I, I'll wrap it up with this point. And I saw this tweet yesterday and it kind of really hit home for me. The Boston Bruins are the best team in the NHL right now. The Boston Bruins haven't drafted in the top 10 in 10 years, if not longer. Just high draft picks don't mean success. Not at all. It's not where you draft, it's who you draft. The Boston Bruins were able to draft David Pasternak outside of the top 10 and the guy's a superstar. You know, they were, they've drafted so well outside of the top 10. That's why they're as good as they are. It's not where you draft, it's who you draft. Is it easier to hit on a higher draft pick? Sure, it is. But you you can still hit on, you know, a 25th overall pick. You can hit on that. It's it, You just have to have a good scouting department. And the Boston Bruins are the prime example of you don't have to tank to become a good team the Boston Bruins haven't tanked in 15 years and they are the best team in the NHL so you know all this talk of tanking doesn't guarantee success so I don't know why you do it just draft the right players when you get to the podium in June yeah like look at Tampa Bay's another example sure they drafted Stamkos first overall how many years ago um Kucherov was a late round pick yeah. Um, you know, if the Oilers had any brains, they would have taken Braden Point was a late yeah. pick. Like and it, the Oilers, if they had any brains, would have taken Vasilevsky first overall instead of Yakupov. I think it was that season. And and you know, Vasilevsky went deep in the first round to Tampa. Like it doesn't picking first overall does like look how long it's taken New Jersey to kind of get it going. Right. And they've picked twice first overall. And it, it just doesn't mean instant success. That's no, why it's it like I, I get so pissed off at the whole team tank and collect the draft picks, collect the draft. Why? They, they don't all work out, right? Like I got no issue with collecting draft picks. It's extra lottery tickets, but it's also extra currency and trades. But to say you have to finish in the top five to get a good player, no, that just makes life easy on your scouting department. You can finish 25th with the 25th pick and get a good player. You just have to have good scouts to do that. And, and that's why some teams team. are, yep. Yeah, the Detroit Red Wings were the model of it. 
for how long? Draft decent players, you know, develop them properly and have superstars. You don't have to have the number one overall pick, a top five, a top 10 pick. It helps, but you don't need it. Just make the right picks at the podium and you're fine. Absolutely. And have the right development team to, to develop them because they don't yeah. just walk in and become NHLers because they put on an NHL sweater. Right. Yeah. So lots going on. Um, trade deadline, whether how boring it will be on that day is always still somewhat exciting to see what is happening because someone always comes up with a surprise move. So it will be interesting to see how the next five days play out. But uh, that's our show for this week. Uh, make sure to check out bellyupsports.com online for all the different podcasts, the different articles covering all different sports. Uh, make sure to check out Trevor on Twitter at TheBleacherCon1. I'm at TheBleacherCon2. That's it for this week. We want to thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.